Gospel of John chapter 9 and verse number 4. And as you are able, would you stand with me, please? Now, I, I intend to keep it as short tonight as I did last night. was in a meeting preaching once, and I got to preaching too long, about an hour into the message, and people quit saying amen. This one man just kept saying, go ahead on, Pharaoh. <laughs> and I thought, what in the world? About an hour and a half in the message, he kept going, go ahead on, Pharaoh. I thought, that's not amen. What in the world is he talking about? So after the church service, I went over to him and said, thank you for entering in, but let's go ahead on Pharaoh. He said, uh, he didn't know when to let God's people go either. So <laughs> <we're>, <laughs> we'll try to let you go, okay? The manpower of missions, the message. We have the message. The money of missions. Tomorrow night's not going to be about money, all about money. But in fact, if you had a choice between tonight's message and tomorrow night's message, you should have come tomorrow night, I think. <laughs> but there's one other, one other thing that goes along with those three things, and it's called the must of missions. Amen. Look in Gospel of John 9 and verse 4. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, in the Bible, often we're told or given examples or analogies of what it means for us to be and the importance of us to be witnesses and to get the gospel to this world. Where Jesus talked about a sower seed in soil, that parable, great parable. He taught 51 parables about a sower who goes out and sows seed and it falls into different types of soil. That's a, that's a soul in missions parable, analogy. He talked about being fishers of men. Follow me. He said, I will make you fishers of men. The analogy, the example there. Then there's the example of the harvest in John chapter 4. Look on the fields for truly they are white on the harvest. Giving us the example that the harvest has to come in. You can't leave it in the fields. You have to bring it in. There's the analogy of the, of the, th the three uh, parables in Luke chapter 15 about the shepherd who loses one sheep, leaves the 90 and 9 in the wilderness and goes and finds that one sheep. The woman who had the coins on, on her necklace and lost one coin, swept her house till she found that one coin. Same uh, Luke 15, same chapter, talks about the prodigal son. Man had two sons. One went to the far country and the father waited on him till he came home the value and the importance of one soul, one life, that sort of thing. Then, of course, in Luke 16, he gave us not a parable, but a, an account of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember, parables never have proper names in them. And so that, 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 that uh, story, the account in Luke 16, excuse me, has two proper names in it. It's those, look here. Those two men who lived and died on the same day are where they are today, 2,000 years later. One of them's in heaven, the other one's in hell. Jesus preached 14 sermons on life after death. 13 of them were about hell. Now he's going to use another analogy here in John chapter 4. Did you see it? He said, we must, I must work the works of him while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work. It's a simple analogy. The change from day to night. In biblical days, they had nothing to do at nighttime. They had no electric lights. 
and little oil lamps, and so consequently work either stopped or was greatly hindered when night came. So they knew the value and the importance of that 12-hour day to get busy on that day because if you have a day, you better work during the day because when the sun comes and goes down and night comes, work is either completely stopped or almost hindered, uh, hindered almost completely. Now he's talking about the work God had given him to do. You know, that's an analogy of this thing about missions. I must work the works of him while it is day. The must of missions. Father, bless tonight, please, I pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for this good church and their attentiveness, their hearing, giving these nights to these messages, to the, to the burden, the, the vision of missions, to get to meet these fine servants of God, Father, who are going to leave their countries and go to lands where they need the gospel. Bless tonight, Father, please give us a sense of urgency of this hour in which we live. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. The analogy is from day to night. I must, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. He said, I've got to do what I must do. I must, I must do it now like it's daylight, and I've got just a short amount of time. And if you think about this thing about missions, ladies and gentlemen, do you realize this analogy, this example of day and night applies in a very simple but a critical way. I want to talk to you about we, we, can, we must do the work while it is day. You see, we live in a very exceptional time right now, very exceptional. When we were told by the gospel, by the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach to every creature, when they were told that in the early New Testament days, they couldn't get to the four corners of the earth. We can. There isn't a place on this planet we cannot get to. Our access of travel and, and means of travel, those, that four corners of the earth is now available to us. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, it is daytime now, and we have this opportunity of what we can do with this matter of getting the gospel to this world. And let me explain to you how simply that works. You see what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen? Look here. That Bible is just as effective today as it has ever been. It is still quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's still the power of God unto everyone that believeth. The Word of God is still powerful. It is not like the Koran. It's not like the golden letters of Confucius. It's not like any other writings or religious book. That's the inspired, infallible, and errant Word of God. And God's power and authority is behind that book. And wherever it goes and wherever it's preached and wherever it's taught and wherever it's declared, that book is still effective today. And also that, but the gospel is still powerful. It is still the power of God unto salvation. It still sees people convicted, converted, and brought to Christ. It's amazing how that can work. We gave an illustration last night of that young lady when we were in Belarus had never heard the gospel in her life and in a simple presentation of the plan of salvation and she trusted Christ and got saved. I've been to places on this, on this earth and preached where they'd never seen a white man, where they'd never seen a, a Christian before. And we stood up in villages and places where they'd never heard the word of God in their entire life and simply preached to them Christ and salvation. And the gospel drew them. Jesus said, if I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men, not might draw, not could draw, not Calvinist draw. He said, I will draw all men unto to me. And that's a powerful statement in the Bible, but it's still effective. It's still true. It can work anywhere. I think sometimes, and I mentioned it a bit the other night, sometimes missionaries, they get on the field and they forget the simplicity of the power and the authority of the Word of God. 
But it still works. Still saves sinners in Africa. Still saves sinners in North Carolina too. You see, it's daytime. We have this now. We have, they didn't have a completed Bible in their day in New Testament Christians. These early church people, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have the whole thing. You and I do. We've got the road map. We've got all of it. And it's an effective thing. We have the Bible. We have the gospel. Jesus Christ, okay, this is simple but true. It's daytime. Jesus is still alive. Oh, yeah. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Our Savior is a living Savior. He's not a dead figure. He's a living person. He is alive today. And we can tell people about a living Savior. Well, it's daytime. Oh, oh, by the way, it's daytime. Church still works. I know some people think, well, you know, really what we just need is, you know, a bunch of Christians get together and talk to each other and na 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 Yeah, that's fine. The brother was talking about establishing Bible studies and then from there establishing churches. But the goal should always be to establish a local New Testament church. Yeah, that's right. See, the Bible says that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. You realize all the cults that have started today, every one of them that are, that are existing on this earth today, so-called Christian cults, every one of them started out of a Bible study. So if Bible study is the answer, just a bunch of people sitting around having Bible study, no, that's not the answer, that's the problem. You say, well, what's wrong with studying the Bible? Nothing, but it should be done in, by, through, and for a local, local New Testament church. Because that, look, Jesus founded the church. That day when Jesus founded the church upon Peter. Nope, he founded it with Peter. He said, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And he founded the church upon himself. That is the agency through which God does his work today. And that's why I, I refuse to support a missionary. He's not going to go out and establish local New Testament churches. Not going to do it. Not interested. Go out and build. You can go drill wells if you want to and build hospitals if you like. And you can go out and do all that social junk that you want to. That helps people. That helps reach people. All well and fine and good. But it better be done in, by, for, and through a local New Testament church. And it better help get a New Testament church started. It better establish New Testament churches. It better do the work. That church thing still works. It still does. Now, I know that nowadays, especially here in America, people say, well, Pastor Johnson, you know, the, the word church and Baptist, you know, it's kind of a divisive thing. And I'm not really into labels. I don't think we'll be putting labels on things. People look at me. You don't buy a thing without a label on it. Try that at the pharmacy. Go in there, you, you illegalists. Go in there and, and pick up the green. See, I'm not using the yellow one today. I don't know what that did to me. If I ain't using it, I'm going to do the green one, but I'm not going to read the label. I don't believe in labels. That's ridiculous. You don't buy socks without labels. You don't buy clothes without labels. You don't buy a car without labels. You don't do anything without labels. And now we got to take the name off a church. It used to bother me, these churches that were non-denominational churches, you know, the, the raisin, the grape, the rock, the rippling waters, or whatever it was they wanted to call it. It used to bug me until I found out what they were preaching and doing over there. And then I thought, yeah, I'll take the name church off that thing. and even acting like a church. So that's all well, fine, and good. Ladies and gentlemen, look at me. Jesus founded a church. And he does his work through a church. Look here, look here. That, that, there's 27 books in the New Testament. 24 of them, uh, 23 of them are about local New Testament churches. Either to a church, for a church, with a church, or for a pastor. The other four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus, the founder of the church. That New Testament is a New Testament is a church book. I don't know why I parked on that a minute, but it seemed like some of you need a little help. Now, here's the deal. 
But it still works. Excuse me. It still works. I've seen them. Look, I've seen it. Little, little Calvary Baptist Church on a, on a piece of bark stuck on the side of a palm tree out in the jungles in the Philippines. I've seen it on a little piece of cardboard painted with, the, with rough letters out there out in, the, out in the Maasai Mara in Kenya and Africa. A little church where people got together and assembled. No, they not have had a nice building like this with air conditioning. May not have had pews. I was preaching in one church in the Philippines. And it was a block building and had openings for doors and windows and things like that. And while I was preaching away, chickens are running through the thing. <laughs> And I thought, get that guy on the end. He'd make good lunch. That boy right there. Worked. After a few minutes later, a dog walked in, laid right there in front of the pulpit and went to sleep. I said, good night. It's a Baptist dog. He went to sleep in church. Look at that. <laughs> All over the place. Everywhere you could think of, I've seen them establish local New Testament churches that then establish local New Testament churches that then establish local New Testament churches. Oh, by the way, in case you're wondering, we're talking independent Baptist churches now. Independent, no denominational bodies, no connections, no associations, no affiliations, none of that kind of stuff. We're not denominational Baptists. We're doctrinal Baptists. There's a huge difference. We're not going to waste all this money sending money to denominational bodies who sit around and record the minutes and waste the hours while some people sit in these nine-story buildings while they have a bunch of offices instead of establishing local New Testament churches. Jesus established a church. Now, this isn't my message. I'll get to it in a minute. Hold on. If I get too long, you say, go ahead on Pharaoh and I'll quit. Okay, are we good? <laughs> the truth of the matter is, but you, you understand, we, we really think, well, yeah, but missionary work, what we should really do is go out and establish, you know, something else other than a church. No, no, no. Go, go over there, win people to Christ. That's what Paul did. That's what the book of Acts is. They went over, they led people to Christ. They got them together. They assembled. A church is an ecclesia, a local, visible, called out assembly, a blood washed, water baptized, Bible-believing people, and you assembled that, and God to give them a man of God, a pastor to come, and you got a church, and then that church starts another church that starts another one. It's a simple process. And oh, by the way, the government can't stop that. You can't. They can make it as legal as they want to. But you can't stop a local New Testament church principle. It's daytime. Oh, yeah. The church still works. Church done right, by the way. We can go to the four corners of this earth. And yes, believe it or not, I'll even say something positive about social media. Give me a minute. I'll think of something. In the, what I call the stand countries, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, those countries, 98, 99% Muslim. They'll cut your hand off. If they catch you with a Bible, they'll cut your head off if you try to witness to somebody. It's tight. It's tough. But there are works in those countries. And most of it is done through social media. And they've got little groups of believers gathered there together now who are, they have, they have to be very quiet about what they do. And I know a pastor who spent many years in, in uh, Belarus. We were there with him and preaching and stuff. And now his work is, is helping these people, these believers, get assembled together and start churches. But like, like in China today, communist China, you can't have a church running 1,000. But you could have 50 churches running 20. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you, you, you can get it done. God's work will still go for When God said to go to the four corners of the earth, he knew we'd live in the day where we live today. And it still works. This stuff of the, even electronic means still works. Nations that are once, once closed are now open. Here's a shocking thing I found. A lot of Islamic countries who won't allow Christianity 
allow Christianity. I don't know if you know who Edgar Fogali is. Brother Fogali works with the Muslim people in the Middle East. We were there preaching with him in Egypt and, and Lebanon and in, and in Syria here a while back. They founded the first independent Baptist church in Baghdad, Iraq. And the day they dedicated the service, the church, they were at a dead-end street in Baghdad. And this is uh, five years, six years ago now. They put up a great big cross, lit it, and had their first dedication service of dedicating this church in Baghdad in Iraq. He's, he's been given by the Somalia government, a Muslim nation. He's been given a, pri- a right and privilege to establish churches anywhere he wants in the southern part of the Sudan. With churches, Bible colleges, Christian schools, he can establish anything he wants there in a Muslim country that does not allow Christianity in their country. See, a lot of these Islamic countries, these terrorists that have gone around the world and, and bred a, a, a negative attitude toward Islam uh, by people. A lot of these Islamic countries, they're pulling back to try and make themselves look a little bit better, a little more tolerant in doing so. Boom, the doors open, God's people are in there, and churches are being established. I said it's daytime. We got a chance to do something here. What happened when the wall went down over in Berlin and the, and the former Soviet bloc nations opened up? Thousands of Christians went in there and gospel began to preach. You know, it's amazing when these countries open, even China until just recently, China with their, with their hunger for American dollars and materialism, were willing to turn a deaf, a deaf ear and a blind eye to people who came over there and established churches just to enable to get a better, more favorable uh, look from America upon their country. You know, they're saying now today that on the average, 10,000 Chinese are coming to Christ every day inside of communist China. It's daytime. You understand? We got, we got doors. We got open doors now that have been closed for a long time. When these doors are open, now we can get to the four corners of the earth. You understand? While it is day, we must do the work of God. We can't sit around on our hands spending a penny a year on the gospel of Jesus Christ to the four corners of this earth. There's time to do something here. Average missionary has to take three to five years to raise support to get to a foreign country. That's wrong. That's insane to me. We're spending millions and billions and spending more money on dog food. And we got missionaries running up and down our nation, trying to raise enough money to go over there and sleep on the clothesline, drink the wind, and eat fried rabbit tracks. And we're over here in our nation. All we're concerned about is whether or not we get another phone, whether or not we get a larger cable bill, whether or not we get our stuff. Don't you understand? We're missing our day. This is our day. While it is day, nations that were once closed are now open. There are fertile fields in this world. If you've not been there, you should. I I highly recommend Christians take missions trips. Now, don't do an American missions trip where you can go to five-star hotels and get hauled around in a limousine. Don't don't do that. If you're willing to take a bucket bath, it it bless your gizzard. If you didn't know you had one, ask God. It bless your gizzard to go on a missions trip. You'd be amazed what God's doing in Mexico. What's happening in South America and the Latin American countries. It would would amaze you what God is doing on the continent of Africa. When we went to Africa several years ago, in order to go there, I had to have 12 different, I had to have 12 shots to go to Africa. I had to take malaria medicine before I went, while I was there and after I got back to keep from getting malaria. 
But everywhere we would go, there were places, it was amazing to me how receptive the people were to the gospel. But the average lifestyle is about, life, life expectancy is about 42, 43. And you know, it's, it's AIDS that kills many of them, but malaria kills more than any of them. We were there preaching in, uh, in Uganda. No, in, uh, where was it, babe? Rwanda, thank you. I was preaching in Rwanda in a pastor's thing. They had like 200 Baptist, black Baptist preachers come to this uh, pastor's thing in Rwanda. And the doctrine was all messed up. Many of them, they, they hadn't had enough training and teaching to keep their doctrine straight. The first night of the conference, we had seven pastors saved and stood up in front of their people and their guys and said, you know, I wasn't saved. It was, it was amazing. I was there. My, our son, our oldest son, Paul, was with us. And my, my, my wife's dad, fa uh, my father-in-law, was with us. And the pastor introduced us. He said, look, I want you to see something, these Africans. He goes, here is Pastor Johnson. This is his father-in-law, and there's his son. And they just went, oh. Three generations alive at the same time. You don't see a lot of old people. Millions of young people. More than almost two-thirds of the majority of the countries of Africa are under the age of 25. You understand, folks? You, the youth are the future of anything. We, the, the day is open. The, the Muslims over there in Africa, they'll send their kids to a Christian school to get an education. The doors are open. We were sitting there with the Brother Stinsass in Uganda, and he was talking to Brother Matt, our youth director at the time, and he said, how would you like to be the youth director to a country? He said, the whole country of Uganda, you could be a youth director to the entire country. I leaned over to him, I said, shut up. Get somebody else over here, not my man here. It's amazing what God is doing in the work of the, in the Philippines. <laughs> That, that is one of the most amazing things I think I've ever seen in my life. It's daytime. Well, it's difficult to get. There are places out there, ladies and gentlemen, who are big. We sent our teenagers on a missions trip to the Philippines. They went to one public school with 2,000 students in it. The principal met them at the gate and said, I'll give each of you a class with 100 students in it. You have them for an hour. You can do whatever you want. Try that over here in Roanoke Rapids. See if they'll let you go in a classroom, stand up, and do whatever you want. And our kids got, it was amazing. I don't want to belabor the point. I'm simply saying this. There are fertile fields in this world that will receive the gospel. That people, listen to me, and that people, they don't know anything. And, 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 and there's such an opportunity. And we can get there. When God told those folks in New Testament days to go to the four corners, they couldn't even get to the four corners of the earth. But we can. But we want to spend it all on vacations. And there's nothing wrong with the vacationing thing. But the point is, what's happening here? One more thing quickly. It's daytime. This immigration issue. Now we're going to fuss about the immigration issue. Let me just simply say this. The world is coming to America. Now, whether you agree about how they get here and what they do and everything else, I'm not going to touch that point. I'm just simply going to tell you this. 22 million international people visit America every year. 630,000 of them are college students. 90% of those young people will never one time hear the gospel while they're here. You see, oh, well, then they just come and they go, and that's all there is to it. But there was a young man came to America back in the 1940s. His name was Fidel. He was a baseball player, very good baseball player, by the way. And he was living on the East Coast in the Washington, D.C. area. 
The Washington, at that time, senator's baseball team, professional baseball team, saw that he was a good player, drafted him into their system. We were going to start training him. But Fidel got a little sideways with some of his philosophy and his doctrine. He went back to his homeland of Cuba. But he lived in this nation for many. Forty percent of the leaders of this world were trained in America. Here. And Fidel Castro went back to Cuba and subjected that nation to the, one of the worst forms of communism. By the way, there ain't no good ones. Worst forms of communism you could imagine. Another young man named Ho Chi Minh came to America in the 1950s. He was a dishwasher in a restaurant across the street from Dallas Theological Cemetery, I mean seminary. And he was washing dishes across the street from Dallas Theological Seminary for three years. No one ever witnessed to him. No one ever gave him the gospel. He went back to his homeland of Vietnam and 50 plus thousand Americans lost their lives on those jungles over there because there was a man who led that country. We should have led him to Christ. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you understand. Now, I don't know how it is here in your area, but in California, they're here. They're, they're, they're everywhere. They come from all over the world to us. That's great. We can go get them. It's even better if they come and get us. Now, then that means you should understand we have this day, this opportunity. We have time to do something now. You get your nose stuck up in the air and say, well, I don't care about those people being over here. I don't care for them coming illegally, and I don't care for all that kind of stuff either. But I'm going to tell you something. While they're here, we better do something about it. And the truth of the matter is, if we're going to send them back, then let's send them back with Jesus, the gospel, and the Bible, and then let them go back to their homelands. But don't you understand? It's daytime. We've got a day now. While it is day, we must do the work that God has given us. Every generation has their opportunity from God to do what they do. Four people are born every second, but two die every second. The truth of the matter is it costs it costs one dollar to see a person saved. One dollar. We have the day. Jesus said, night cometh. When night comes, work ceases or it's greatly limited. The door of Russia that was open when the wall came down is closed. I know of at least a half a dozen missionaries who served in Russia for many years had to leave because they couldn't get a visa to stay. When Russia invaded the Ukraine, American missionaries that were there doing a the work in the Ukraine had to leave. The doors closed. China that had turned its deaf, uh, deaf ear and, and blind eye to the materialism of, of America and coming into China in just the last two years has begun to get down on churches. And cut things off. They made it illegal against the law. Just passed it two weeks ago. Against the law to say anything about Christ, Jesus, about the Bible or Christmas or anything like that. No Christian stuff can be announced or publicly declared. The door in China is closing quickly. You understand something? The night's coming. You cannot be a missionary in the country of Venezuela and South America unless you are a Venezuelan. They kicked all the Americans out of there. They kicked all the foreign missionaries out of that country. The door's closing. Night is coming. Oh, but you know, that's them, you know. That's those people over there. That, that's not really my concern. I, 
I'm concerned about my next paycheck. I'm concerned about what I do. I understand the reality of day-to-day living. But ladies and gentlemen, do you understand that when the night comes, the work stops or it is greatly hindered? Do you understand that when God gives somebody a daytime, a daylight of opportunity and you don't take it, it doesn't wait for us? It doesn't hold back for us? When he said, look on the fields for truly, they are white unto harvest. He was trying to explain not the beauty of the harvest, but the importance of it and the impetus that we can not Wait, you don't leave peach trees on the tree just because they're there. You got to get them off the tree. You got to harvest and if you don't, you lose it. And if we don't do something, the night will come and the door will close. And it's closing before our very eyes. Look at our own beloved nation. I love America. I love our nation. I served, I served in the militaries to serve my country. I was like Brother Murdoch here. I was in the Air Force because my my IQ was too high to be another branch of the service, so they're, they're the only ones. <laughs> they were the only ones who would take me. Amen, brother. And when I speak anything negative about my nation, I speak about its moral condition. I do not speak negatively about the most blessed and beloved nation on this earth. All these places I've been in this world, ladies and gentlemen, every time I get home, I say, thank God I'm back in America. Oh, it's getting dark here. Violence. We have a bunch of people in our country who are so stupid, they think that gun violence is our problem. But I don't see any of them blaming forks for being, people being fat. You ever heard anybody say we got a fork issue in America? Huh? So, well, it's the people who use it. Uh-huh. We got cars out there killing people on our roads, don't we? Cars killing folks. Uh, nope, it's the driver. But somebody can shoot someone with a gun. We go, we got gun problems. No, we got idiot problems. We got, we got violent issues. But nobody's ever complaining about video games. Video games, young people playing video games where they pull the spine out of somebody and slaughter somebody. They play a game, they push a reset button. Ain't no reset button like that in life. No one's cutting down the video games, they won't get rid of the gun. Get rid of the video games and tell me you're serious about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Say, don't you play video games? No, I got a life. Some people play video games so much their thumbs are bigger than their neck. It's unbelievable. But you understand people, look at me. The, the night is coming upon our own beloved nation. Look at you can't tell me 40, 50 years ago, stuff that's legal now would have been legal then. They're, t- they're, take, they're deteriorating our First Amendment rights. That First Amendment, that's pretty important to this country. Very important. Someone has said they just, they've decided to send our Constitution Bill of Rights to some of these countries with dictators because we ain't using it over here. It might be able to help those guys. I'm not sure. But the truth is, it's insane. Our, our rights of freedom of speech, assembly, and religion, and, and, and petition, those, those are valuable rights. But everybody else gets their rights to speak but us. All these other folks are tolerant, but not us. They're not tolerant of our intolerance. It's just like when people tell you, you're not supposed to judge. Here's what you say to them. Don't judge me for judging. Because that's what they're doing. They're judging you for judging. Well, you're being critical. Don't criticize my criticism. 
Use your head, a woodpecker does. I mean, think about it for a moment. It's unbelievable to me. Everybody gets to say what they want except us. We don't get to say that's wrong. Oh, you hate people. I don't hate anybody. I don't. I do not hate a living, breathing soul on this planet. I don't hate anybody. But to say they're wrong isn't hateful. It's truthful. Do you hate your kids when you say, don't touch that stove? You hate your kids. Watch out when you cross the street. Don't be so judgmental. It's insane. The point is this, ladies and gentlemen, the darkness is coming down. Common sense and truth is falling in the streets and common sense got assassinated. It just seems like, come on, man. Think about it for just a moment. It's incredible how, how they, our, known, our beloved nation, we're watching the darkness come down upon us. You say, oh, Pastor Johnson, what do we do? Light, ladies and gentlemen, light dispels darkness. Salt, salt prevents corruption. We must be doing our job as Christians in this country. We're losing ground because we're giving it away. We'd rather sit back and be passive, get our sermons, get up and go home and do nothing about what this world needs. That's wrong now. We're giving away. We're just giving our country away. I'm not advocating that we get in the streets and start picketing and going after people. No, no, no. How about getting in the street with a track and witness somebody and give them the gospel? That works. It's getting more sinful and violent and debauched in this world today. Freedoms in our country are being lessened. Some would restrict our beloved Constitution and amendments that have guaranteed us. Some are trying. Houston, Texas, three years ago, the mayor of the city, a lesbian, decided she didn't like the fact that some preachers were preaching against the homosexual lifestyle. So she passed an initiative that said preachers had to turn their outlines in for approval. Now, it got shot down because that's a violation of the First Amendment. But listen to me, people. But somebody actually tried that in Houston, Texas. That wasn't even in California. You see, night's coming. Now, look at me. Rather than just stand back and watch the sun go down, we have to push the darkness back. We've got, we've got to push the darkness back. It's salt and light is the answer. Since they're walking on our freedoms and our Christianity, that's our fault because the Bible says salt, if we've lost its savors, thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. They're walking on us when they shouldn't be. Not because we'll be unkind, not because we already covered all this in messages now. Right, right convictions, right compassion, right spirit, right, right beliefs. Yes, all of that, important, essential, but we've got to push this thing back. We've got to hold off on it. And my soul, don't we at least have enough compassion? Did you see those little sweet-faced children running across this platform over here? Do you know what America's going to be like for them in 25, 30 years when they're the adults and you and I maybe have gone on to heaven and we punched our ticket, we got our glory, and we go to glory, and then we have to sit here and watch the fact that we may well hey, be raising the next generation of martyrs, and 160,000 people die every year still in this world for their faith. It's a must. It's not a could be. It's not a hope show. Not maybe could do. It's a must. We, like Jesus, must work the works of him while it is day. For the night coming. One more statement, I'm finished. This may sound like may not sound like night coming to you, but it is in a very real sense. Jesus is coming. 
Oh, yeah. Jesus is coming. Every time I go to Walmart, I'm, I'm hoping Jesus doesn't come. But that's when he'll come. I'll be standing in line at Walmart. They'll be calling back to a department for somebody who wants to save 25 cents on an item that ain't worth a nickel. <laughs> to a department that doesn't exist where people don't even work back there. And I'm thinking this is where I'll be when Jesus comes. Standing here while this fool up here is trying to save a quarter. I've taken money out of my pocket and said, sir, I'll give you $10 if you'll just take that and go on out here and let me out of this place, please. Please. Just don't. I do. If it's so, come, Lord Jesus, but not right now. I don't want to be in Walmart when Jesus comes back. I just, I just don't. So if you ever see me in Walmart, you're probably the only guy dumb enough to pray against the second coming of Christ, which isn't going to help because he's going to come anyway no matter what we're doing. But the truth is, we know that, right? We all know that, right? God's people know Jesus is coming. You see, that's not dark. No, it's not dark for us. It's light. Woo yeah, it's light, brother. Oh, my soul. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ rise first. Don't tell me Methodists don't go to heaven. The dead in Christ rise first. Then we which are alive and remain. Woo, we take this step right here on earth. The next one, boom, we're in heaven. We're with Jesus, just like that. Oh, that's daytime for us. It's night. For everyone who's left behind. And that 70-some percent of this world who's never even heard the name of Jesus, much less the gospel, will go into the horrible time of the tribulation period, and two-thirds of this world's population will be dead in seven years, and most all will be in hell. Night's coming for them. We must Work the works of him while it is day. We have opportunity. We have a tremendous opportunity. Unbelievable privilege. And not so we can get on the internet and go on Pinterest and spend five hours on Pinterest to find a flower arrangement. I got on it one time. Trying to find something about an arbor in my backyard. Two hours later, I was looking at chihuahuas in Germany. I mean... <laughs> I don't know how I got over there. And I sat there and looked, I said, what happened? And I don't even like, if you got a chihuahua, forgive me. I don't even like chihuahuas. That's like a mouthful for most dogs. I got off, I, was, I never went back again after that. I thought, that's unbelievable. Truth is, ladies and gentlemen, we have this daytime and we must work the works of him that sent us to, let's stand our feet please tonight. It's about an eyes are closed this evening. Say, well, what do I do, Pastor Johnson? Well, several things while you're standing, please. Be what's right about America, please. Let's stop the lying, cheating, thieving, carrying on, immoral living. Let's cut the junk. Stop being a part of the corruption. Start being a part of the salt. Be what's right about America. Number two, find out what you're supposed to do and do it when it comes to this thing about missions. It's a simple principle about missions in the Bible. If you don't go, you send. Pretty simple, not complicated. Well, I'm not going to go to Africa, Pastor Johnson. Fine. Could you send somebody over there? Couldn't you? Couldn't you send an ambassador, a deputy, somebody deputed in your place to go to that place? You could do that. I could do that. Yeah. 
It's, it's amazing. One dollar will save a soul. One dollar. That's the figure. They figure what it costs to see one soul saved. A dollar. That's in any country. Third world, first nation, whatever. One dollar. Come on now. One buck. We'll go into Starbucks and drop seven bucks on a cup of coffee with an umbrella in it and then wonder why America, the world's not getting reached for Jesus. You see what I'm saying? There is something we can do about it. And you say, well, now you're trying to make me feel bad. Okay, then if we need to feel bad, let's feel bad because feeling bad comes before feeling good. I feel bad enough to do something about it. Get off my blessed assurance and decide I'm going to get something done about this thing. I must do something for the cause of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Be what's right about America. Find out what the Lord would have you to do. Your part. You ask him. That's what this meeting is about. Lord, what should I do? And then you do it. You get in on it. Prayer, giving. It's, it's a simple principle, and we'll cover some of that tomorrow night. That's, that's pretty basic, to be honest with you. But you know what? What we cannot do is let our daytime pass us and go, oh, by and by, when I look on his face, beautiful face, thorn-shadowed face. By and by, when I look on his face, I wish I had given him more. Too bad then. Like David with Absalom, would God, son, would God I had. Too late then, he's dead. Too late when the darkness comes. Too late. God help us do something now. Let's pray.